I want, I want, I want me, 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 mine, 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 now, now, now. You know you're responsible for what you hear. You know you're responsible for what you hear. Greetings and welcome to Thoughts from Meharry Head, the podcast where I talk about, well, whatever happens to be bouncing around inside my head at the moment, but mostly focusing on constitutional issues and political decentralization. This is episode 14 of Thoughts from Meharry Head, and I appreciate you tuning in. This week, I'm going to try to push beyond the sound bites in the Confederate flag debate. on vacation. So up until the last couple of days, I pretty much watched this raging flag debate from a distance. But I'm home now, so I guess I should probably throw in some of my thoughts. The first thing that came to mind when I saw all of this blowing up on social media was, is this really the most important thing we have to debate in this country? I mean, really? But as I thought about it, I realized that there were a lot of nuances to this debate, and it's important to think about some of these things a little bit more deeply than most people are. Now, the first thing that became very clear to me quickly is that a lot of people don't seem to understand symbols. They are, by their nature, subjective, and they often communicate very different things to different people. The fact that you understand a symbol in one way does not negate another person's perception of it. I have to admit, I've never been particularly comfortable with the Confederate battle flag because, like it or not, it carries with it racist connotations to many people. It's an undeniable fact that it was adopted as a symbol by segregationists in the 50s and 60s. These are the people that would have preferred that my marriage would be illegal. So, yeah, I'm not real enthusiastic about waving that banner around. Having said that, let me make one thing very clear. Banning stuff is stupid. You're offended? Get over it. Your tender feelings don't trump the natural right to free expression, not even expression of things that you find disgusting. Not only that, censorship of ideas is dangerous. As John Stuart Mill argued, banning ideas merely pushes them underground where they fester. Bad ideas should be challenged and confronted, not hidden from sight. As my wife often says jokingly, she wants people to have their Confederate flags. That way she knows where they are. Then she can avoid them. And let's be fair, many people view the flag differently. They see it as a symbol of states' rights or as part of the Southern heritage. To immediately assume somebody is a racist because they defend a symbol that they legitimately perceive differently from you is unfair. It's just as unfair as it is for them to brush away your feelings about the racist connotations. 
But that's how we do things in the age of 30-second sound bites, Facebook memes, and Twitter posts. If you can't condense your thoughts into a single sentence, they probably aren't worth thinking. You see, this whole flag debate represents something a lot deeper than just a tug-of-war over a symbol. According to the mob, anybody who embraces anything relating to the South during the Civil War era must be a racist redneck who probably wants a return to slavery, or at least to the era of Jim Crow. That, of course, includes anybody who talks about states' rights or secession. This plays well for the political monopolists and centralizers. They don't have to debate the virtues of a decentralized system or the intent of the Constitution, nor do they have to account for the limited nature of the powers actually delegated to the federal government. Nope. All they have to do is point fingers and throw around terms like racist or neo-confederate, and they've won. Political monopolists capitalized on a cartoon version of history and exploit it to further advance their big government nationalist vision of America. Here's an important concept to grasp. It is perfectly congruent to simultaneously support people's right to do something and oppose their reasons for doing it. I can argue for the legitimacy of Southern secession without supporting the reasons that they wanted to leave the Union. And I can contend that the Union was wrong to invade and occupy the South while still abhorring slavery. The fact of the matter is, secession was the foundational principle of the Declaration of Independence. Consider these words, quote, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. End quote. The people of the South concluded that remaining part of the Union was destructive to their ends. The vast majority of Southerners had no stake in slavery whatsoever, and yet Lincoln rolled in cannons and forced the Southern states to stay in the Union, even though they no longer wanted any part of it. To defend the Southern right of political self-determination is not the same thing as defending all of its institutions. I've seen several commentators arguing that the Confederate battle flag is not only racist, it's also a symbol of treason. Now, if that's the case, the American flag is as well, because in every sense of the word, the colonists seceded from England. Ironically, the day before all of the Confederate flag nonsense exploded, I happened to be reading Lysander Spooner's essay titled No Treason. Spooner was one of the most radical abolitionists of the day, but he also soundly condemned northern aggression against southern states. Listen to what he wrote. In proportion to her wealth and population, the North has probably expended more money and blood to maintain her power over an unwilling people than any other government ever did. And in her estimation, it is apparently the chief glory of her success and an adequate compensation for all her own losses and an ample justification for all her devastation and carnage of the South that all pretense of any necessity for consent to the perpetuity or power of government is, as she thinks, forever expunged from the minds of the people. In short, the North exults beyond measure in the proof she has given that a government professedly resting on consent will expend more life and treasure in crushing dissent than any government openly founded on force has ever done. 
and she claims that she has done all of this on behalf of liberty, in behalf of free government, in behalf of the principle that government should rest on consent. Wow. And good luck hanging the racist tag on Spooner. While we're on the subject of the American flag, I suppose it's also racist because slavery existed under the Stars and Stripes far longer than it did under any Confederate banner. But you see, that doesn't fit the cartoon version of history we learn in grade school. Let's get something straight. Slavery was not purely a Confederate phenomenon. The Union didn't ride in on some moral white horse and sweep the ugly institution off the planet. Slavery is not the legacy of states' rights. In fact, slavery was as much a product of the Union as the Confederacy. Federal power established it as an institution, federal power maintained it, and federal power enforced it. Well, that's it for this episode of Thoughts from Meharry Head. Next week, we'll delve more deeply into the subject of how centralized national power established and sustained slavery. I really appreciate you tuning in. If you enjoyed it, please spread the word. And don't forget to go over to iTunes and subscribe to this podcast. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.